Well, I've got to tell you, there are people who come into your life and you just say, wow, how did this happen to me? I just feel so incredibly grateful that I met Dr. Chris Racinos. She is our guest today. She has more letters at the end of her name than I think anybody I've ever seen in my life. It's PhD, RN, NFP, BC, NEA, BC. Other than that, she's not accomplished much from a credentialing perspective. All right, Chris Racinos is the CEO. Uh, that's not even on her name. The CEO thing isn't even on there. Uh, she's the CEO. She's a founder of the Nurse Leader Network. She's also created Tiki Das, which is an educational platform for nurses. She's the creator of a mental health uh, app uh, for teens called Hello Harmony. Uh, she has held the roles of chief nurse executive for Kaiser Permanente South Bay Medical Center, which is when I met her. And uh, in that context, she was kind enough to give some of her time, and there wasn't much time at all available uh, to me to talk about just the challenges nurses were facing in the middle of the pandemic and what it was like to be leading a nursing organization in that context. She's also worked as the deputy nurse executive for the Veterans Administration. She's held all kinds of academic nurse practitioner, registered nurse roles in the course of her, her life. She is just passionate about suicide prevention, is very involved in advocating on behalf of suicide prevention. This is a tough time for a lot of people. You know, the book that I just wrote was titled Stronger Through Adversity. There are a lot of people who are not coming through this stronger through adversity. There are a lot of people just feeling the adversity in an acute way. So we're here today to talk with one of my favorite people, truly one of my favorite people, uh, Chris Racinos. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks for having me, Joseph. I feel like it's been such a long time since we talked, yet it has been only several months. So yeah. extremely excited to be here. It's uh, it's COVID time, really. You know, I think in the beginning, it seemed like it was going so slow for a lot of us. I imagine when you were in the trenches, uh, those days were just tiringly long. They they were ridiculously long and they blended into each other. Uh, sometimes, you know, we were like, wait, wait, it's Saturday today um, because the weekends felt just like the weekdays. Um, there was no days off for anybody. Let's uh, I don't want to spend a ton of time looking back in the rearview mirror here uh, as it relates to COVID. But let's take a few minutes, because I think what struck me so much about you was your candor. Uh, in, in my interview with you about all this stuff, you were acknowledging that you weren't perfect. And there was a lot of nurses who were just running themselves into the ground and self-care was at a premium. Um, and, and of all things, you found that a bit shocking because you're the queen of resilience and taking care of yourself from a mental health perspective. Yeah. I mean, uh, we all, it's, it's easier said than done, right? Like we all know exactly what we need to do in terms of mental health. Uh, protection and resilience, right? We know we should meditate. We know we should eat right. We know we should, you know, not drink too much and exercise. Um, but when you are in the middle of crises and, you know, you're looking at people that potentially could lose their lives, you forget about yourself as a caregiver. So you go into this like mode of, you know, being everything to everybody. And you don't realize that by sacrificing yourself, you're not giving and showing up as your best self. So when you come to work burned out because you're trying to do all of the things, um, you're, you're really not doing a service to anybody. And so I think, you know, for me, we had a moment that we had to look back and, um, you know, I, I shared it with you previously, but one of the people I was working with was like, oh my God, I'm like worst mother of the year. I have not seen my kids. And literally all of us in the room raised our hands and we were like, yeah, we're right there with you. We are worst mothers of the year. We have not 
seen our kids. Some of us were, I worked, I think it was like 56 days straight um, when the pandemic first hit. And I wasn't the only one. I mean, we were, that was all over the entire nation. And so I think, um, you know, it was just really important to like stop and then decide, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to continue being like crappy moms? Are we going to start, you know, taking a step back and looking at like how we can improve our well-being because we weren't showing up good for our families and we weren't showing up good for the, the folks that we were leading. I, uh, for those of you who are joining us live now on LinkedIn or on Facebook or on YouTube, if you'd like to join in the conversation, uh, how was your self-care over the course of the pandemic? Just feel free to jot a, a note into the chat box. Uh, also, you know, we're going to get into some, I think, pretty meaty sub subjects about mental health and emotional well-being and uh, suicide prevention. So I imagine that this could be sensitive for some folks who really are feeling the stress of this time. For others, this is a show you might want to just tag for someone else you know. Um, Chris, let's go where I don't want to go. Sure, certainly, you don't want me to go here in the sense that it, it's just a terrible reality for you. But you understand the pain of suicide. Can you comfortably share with us that that context? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I've done a lot of work on suicide prevention. When I was working at the Veterans Administration, I um, realized, you know, how impactful um, uh, therapeutic regimens could be in terms of preventing suicide. Um, you know, I was looking at stats and, and veterans are just one of the you know, uh, highest rates of suicide that there are. They have PTSD. And I ac actually focused my uh, research for my PD PhD around um, veterans with PTSD and suicide prevention. And, um, you know, this entire time that I'm immersed in all of this work, I'm getting my PhD and I'm preventing suicide in veterans and, you know, doing all this amazing work. I failed to realize that I had well, a member of my own family that was struggling. And so I grew up with um, a lot of mental health challenges growing, you know, growing up. I, I grew up in Los Angeles as a foster kid and my mom struggled with mental health issues. Um, and we had a suicide in our family. And um, ju I just didn't, you know, even as a clinician, like I knew all of the signs. Uh, I knew that if I, you know, somebody in my family was struggling, I'd be able to uh, help them. And uh, my oldest daughter that I had actually had her as a teen um, was a pre-med student at UCLA. Um, super bright, cheery, was the one that, you know, helped everybody anytime they needed everything. And um, uh, one morning on January 13, 2017, I um, noticed that she hadn't left for school yet. And I was like, what's, you know, going on? She was a commuter. So she usually left before I went to work. And I was getting ready. I had this big project that I was launching with Target uh, Clinics for Kaiser. And, um, you know, it was in my own world. And as I approached her door, there was a little note on the door um, that looked like this. And it said, um, don't let the kids see I love you, Harmony. My daughter's name was Harmony. And so as I approached her room, I opened the door and I found her lifeless in her bed. And so I, you know, attempted to do the best CPR that I could do as a nurse. And I was unable to resuscitate her. And I lost my daughter to suicide. And, you know, as I looked back, she had all the signs. She had given away prized possessions, but she had excuses for them. She'd say, you know, I'm giving away all my gaming stuff because I want to focus. I'm going to be a doctor and I don't want to spend all my time playing on games. But she had all of these signs, right? She started staying up really late at night and attributed it to studying, but they were abnormal hours of night, right? She was up at like three, four, five o'clock in the morning. And so I think, um, you know, it's it's hindsight's 2020 um, and you could be the best clinician ever. Um, and you could still fail to recognize the signs in the people that you live with and in yourself. 
Um, so it's really important, I think, for us to start spreading the word around mental health and these challenges. Her friends had known she was struggling, but they really didn't know how to get her the resources. Um, and so that's really where my life kind of took a change and began to pivot so that we could begin to normalize these conversations around mental health um, so that people wouldn't be embarrassed and to, to seek and receive help. So I don't know if you remember, I mean, I, I have had many lives here. I'm kind of like a cat, but um, one of my lives uh, was getting my PhD from the University of Southern California in clinical psychology. So, um, you know, my background is dealing with mental health. And I, you know, I remember coming out in the 80s in the mental health field and finding such stigma around mental health. And while I think it's better today, it's not 33 years better today, right? I mean, it's, it still feels like something is not okay with people having mental illness when it is perfectly okay to have physical illness. Can you help me a little understand what do you think, why would we still have stigma and why are there certain minority groups in particular that are so stigmatized or police or healthcare providers? There's so many groups that seem to have a harder time accepting the realities of mental health. I think the first piece of it starts with the language we put around it. So we still hear people using the words committed suicide. Um, you don't commit getting cancer, right? You don't commit getting a heart attack. Um, but when you have a mental health illness and then take your life, you are now a criminal. And so I think, you know, it really needs to start with uh, our language around that. Like we need to really um, not think of killing yourself as a crime, but rather as, you know, a secondary outcome of not getting treatment for mental health illness. And so I think that's part of it. I, I also believe that um, as a society, we have ingrained this in our kids, right? How many times have you as a parent or, you know, who are the listeners said to your kid, stop crying, right? Like your kid gets hurt or they're fighting or whatever. And you say, stop crying. You're telling them that their emotions are not okay when you do that. And so that, and, and how many times have you, you know, if your child's gotten angry, you said, go to your room, you know, and take a time out. By saying things like that, we are telling our children at a very young age that it's not okay to have human feelings. We're human. We're going to be angry. We're going to be sad. We're going to be upset. We're going to be, we're going to be all, and we're going to have joy and happiness, but it's happiness does not happen hundred percent of the time. And so we really have to change the way we communicate this at a very early age to our children around accepting that these are normal feelings and they're okay to have. Um, and then if we're struggling, being able to reach out. It's also um, noteworthy that, you know, although suicide is the second leading cause of death between folks that are 10 to 34 years of age, it's actually one of the least funded um, uh, um outcomes of, uh, or um, causes of death. So for example, cardiovascular disease, we pour tons of research and money into that, tons of, you know, development so that we could have access and um, treatment and prevention. We don't do that with suicide prevention. We don't do that with mental health prevention. And healthcare organizations really are just beginning to understand how important mental health is. But I can tell you right now that if I call to make an appointment, for my colonoscopy or my breast exam, I'll be able to get an appointment in you know, a week. If I call because I have a cold or a flu, I'll probably be able to get a telephone appointment same day or next day. If I call because I am experiencing you know, a loss of appetite and because my head hurts and I'm anxious and I can't stop crying and I, I can't really see a reason for life, if I don't immediately wanna kill myself, I might not get an appointment for five to six weeks. So, I mean, we really need to structure 
um, the way that we are providing healthcare for this, because right now, you know, even if you want a- access, it's not readily available. So access to care, um, the absence of people getting care is a, a super big risk factor in the context of suicide. Um, so this is where advocacy comes in, right? I mean, this is where you involve yourself, and I've seen a variety of different uh, groups that you've supported and advocated through on behalf of those who you know, are at risk of suicide. Um, so tell me a little bit about, are there inroads being made or is this, uh, are we seeing any light at the end of this dark tunnel for folks? I mean, there are, it's just not fast enough. Um, you know, we saw a 68% um, increase in suicide rates over the course of the pandemic. The suicide rates are already increasing um, prior to the pandemic. And so that's a problem. Um, One great thing to note is that we recently got legislation passed that allowed for an emergency, a universal emergency number across our nation for suicide prevention. So you know how we call 911 when there is a medical emergency? Well, now we're going to be able to call a uh, dial a number, um, and I believe it's 988, don't quote me, um, but it's now going to be available uh, within two years uh, across all the states. So all of this legislation just passed, the states have about two years to implement it so that we have this universal number if you're struggling um, or in crisis. And so I think that's good. I think we're seeing that, you know, a lot of states are now um, making it so that when we call 911 for uh, an emergency, it's not the police that are showing up. It's actually mental health experts that are showing up um, so that there's not crimes. Uh, You know, it's not associated with being criminal, right? Having if we have cancer and you're not breathing when we call 911 a police officer is not going to tend to show up. It's going to be the ambulance and the fire department. Um, and so, you know, those are those are some of the inroads that we're seeing. Um, there's a lot that people can do that don't take a lot of time. So the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has all kinds of initiatives. They have scripts that you literally just hit send that'll go to um, your legislators to show that you're really interested in this. And this is something they need to be listening to in terms of all kinds of legislation that's currently going on. All right, so let's let's kind of step back here. Um, you're not only advocating, you're kind of creating solutions at all different levels, right? I mean, there's resilience uh, training that you have nurses for nurses, and you know, kind of caregiver care for yourself kind of opportunities that you've developed around that. Now, you stepped away from the traditional uh, clinical role and an administrative clinical function. And now you've got this entrepreneurship going and it's it's crazy the number of projects that you're involved with. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about some of them. Let's talk about Hello Harmony, which is the one that I'm most interested in as, as we'll just call back to your daughter's name's Harmony. Tell me a little bit about the, the origins of the app. And I know there's there's some exciting funding that's going on. That you can't fully, but, but this is a just a beautiful gift to, to uh, teens from what I gather. Yeah, so um, it actually happened accidentally. Um, so I, I ended up leaving my role as a chief nursing officer in September of last year um, because my son was struggling. That was really the reason I, I you know, told you I was working all these hours. I wasn't seeing him. He was home, didn't have friends, was like basically raising himself. He's like the Lord of the Flies at my house. And um, I saw he was struggling and I was not willing to bury another child because he was struggling at that level. And so I stepped down and and you know, became a mom again and tried to figure out like, what do I wanna do from here? Where do I wanna go? And I happened to be in a meeting with Sanciel, which is a society of nursing innovators, uh, nurse leaders and entrepreneurs. 
and um, they have the they uh, have this monthly meetup where nurses were just coming and you know talking about the state of nursing in this middle of the pandemic. And it was a Thursday night, and um, the president of Sanseal, Rebecca Love, said, "Hey, we're you know we're just reminded everybody, hey, there's a hackathon going on tomorrow. It starts tomorrow Friday." And I was like, "I don't know what a hackathon is." but I have some time and that sounds fun. Like, let's go ahead and get into it. So I uh, joined the hackathon, didn't even really know exactly what it was, but basically people came together, developers, nurses, engineers, mathematicians. I mean, like all types of different investors came together and they were looking for solutions in the middle of this pandemic. And I signed up late, so I didn't have a group. And so I had to create my own group. And so as I was sitting there trying to figure out like what I should create, my 10 year old son was like, oh, mom, create an app. He's like, they're fun. Like apps are really cool. Let's do this. You know, and I was like, oh, I don't know, like maybe. OK, let's think about it. And then my 19 year old daughter was like, mom, you should create our app around suicide prevention and teens. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I should. So I immediately signed up my husband, my kids. And then um, we did that like at midnight on that Friday you know, night. And then a couple hours later, I had a couple other nurses sign up to be a part of our group. And we found a commonality in that we all had teens in our lives that were struggling with either anxiety, depression, had been hospitalized for mental health illness. Um, and that's really where Hello Harmony began. So we, you know, um, met with different folks and somebody brought up, hey, what about having a chatbot? And my daughter was like, oh, my God, that's perfect. Like we could create emojis. And so we kind of did a mini focus group with these uh, kids and I mean, it just really came together. We we looked at exactly what we, you know, what they didn't want. They didn't want to have ads. We looked at what they did want. They wanted to be able to design their friend and, you know, pick what kind of styles they had. Um, and so at the end of that weekend, we came away with a, a minimally viable product. And um, that's really kind of just how it started. I ended up having investors reach out and um, other organizations reach out that were interested. And I was like, okay. You know, I, I knew I had to do something, but then I ended up having parents reach out. I had hundreds of people reach out and say, where can I find this at? My kid's struggling. Um, and so that's where I'm at now. Wow. You know, I often say when something starts bad, it gets worse. I think sometimes when it starts that powerfully, you got to go with it. You got to just kind of stop a lot of other stuff and say, there's something, there's something here. A lot of energy, a lot of need, uh, and a lot of forces coming together. I mean, the financial support. Uh, and all of those things. So when does this app make itself available in the Apple Store or other places? What's the timeline for it? So we I'm currently sourcing different things. So we're, there's going to be an artificial intelligence component to it, which is going to allow the bot to respond the way the person responds, right? So if it's a 10 year old, they're going to text differently than maybe a 20 year old would text. Um, and so I'm going to be incorporating some natural language processing in. Um, I'm also looking at on sourcing a developer so that we could get the app to where we need a UX UI kind of person. Um, and then we're going to ensure that there's things like cognitive behavioral therapy, evidence based practice behind the conversations that the chat box is going to have with these users. Um, so we're looking to go into beta towards the end of the year, probably around winter. Um, and then right after we do beta, I mean, the turnaround is going to be pretty quick um, to get it into the App Store. So my goal is to have it in the App Store before the end of the year. Wow. Wow. All right. So let me let me uh, just turn to the, the folks uh, viewing right now. And first off, if you have any questions for Chris, please go ahead and put those in our chat box. Not quite as uh, informed and intelligent as the ability to have it respond to you in any meaningful way, but we will, in our live presentation here, share uh, respond to you. Um, and I think beyond that, if you're somebody who's got a passion for this cause, you know, I want to make sure that you know you can reach out to 
uh, Chris after this time at the Nurse Leader Network, or you can reach her on her LinkedIn, um, and I have her LinkedIn address there. So just uh, make sure that this isn't a conversation as you have kind of roaming in your head, but you don't take any action on the backside of. All right, so clearly uh, that is a big labor of love for you. That could be a full-time job. It uh, doesn't pay the bills, I would think. I think it's mostly creating a solution to the world. What are the other things? I know there's Tiki Dos. I have no idea what this is other than it, it, at one point in time, at least was a website. So uh, tell me more about what Tiki Dos is in your in your suite of uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. So Tiki Dos is a website. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Udemy, but it's basically a Udemy for nurses. So I have worked with nurses internationally to create quick courses. These courses are 20 minutes or less um, to help nurses achieve an outcome in one of the areas that are important to nursing. So it might be in their professional development, right? Like I want to be a better public speaker. Um, I you know, want to not have staging fright. I want to know how to write a resume. It might be in clinical skills, right? So if you're an advanced practice provider, how do I do a certain skill? If I'm a registered nurse, how do I do a bladder scan, for example? Um, it might be around wellness and health. So how do I fit a quick meal in when I'm doing a 12 hour shift or what kind of meditation can I do? So quick um, things like that. It might be around uh, leadership and development. So um, I want to become a leader and how do I have a crucial conversation or how do I create a strategic plan? Um, and then there's a component for entrepreneurs. So like, how do I start up my business or, um, you know, how do I do marketing or what does copy look like? And so these are these are classes where you can sign up for the membership and then take unlimited classes each month. Um, I actually put that on hold to focus on Hello Harmony. And so that is coming back again towards the end of the year as I'm building my team. I just hired um, somebody to help me get that back up and running. And then I also have Nurse Leader Network, which Nurse Leader Network is an organization to help nurses who are leaders or entrepreneurs uh, get where they want to go. So we, you know, it's a membership site where nurses can come in and, you know, depending on where your goals are, we help you get there without sacrificing the important things in your life. So I'm trying to give all of the lessons around things that I've sacrificed in my life and show you that you don't have to do that to get your, you know, the dream of your life, the life of your dream. So how do you balance now? I mean, like the, it wasn't in balance, obviously, when you were in the middle of COVID and on the front lines on a COVID unit and taking care of nurses who were doing the same. Uh, but how now with all this, you know, Tiki Dos and Hello Harmony and Nurse Leader Network, um, wh where do you get the, the time to do the thing that you were focused on, which is, you know, really be mom? I, um, I learned through that experience um, that I, I don't know if, if anybody is followers of Dave Ramsey, but Dave Ramsey has a quote and it's pay yourself first. So he teaches you when you're trying to save money, you know, before you go out to eat, put your money in your savings, pay yourself first. And so I um, started doing that with my time. I pay myself first with my time. So an example is actually I have it here on my desk. Um, I was not planning this, but I'll pull it up. But an example is... Um, this year, I don't know if you can see it. It's um, a wheel of life. And so it has on there like the areas it says like business and career, family and friends, relationships, finance, fun and recreation, spiritual health and fitness. And each week I fill out um, how satisfied I am with that level. Um, and then I'll create smart goals around it. So each week I look and say, okay, this was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't doing so good in this area. Let me create some smart goals around that. But I pay myself first, meaning I schedule in time with my family uh, before I do anything else. So I've learned that it's really easy to say no uh, to meetings, to whatever, to, you know, 
people come in, like, you know, all kinds of wonderful things that come up and all these things that catch your attention. It's really easy to say no when you're really clear on what it is that your goal is. And my goal is really to be there uh, for my kids and to really have meaning and purpose. And so I pay myself first with my time. I schedule in time with my kids. We have unrelenting time around when we're going to play, you know, the game of life or when we're going to read a book or when we're going to paint or when we're going to go swimming. And there's no negotiation around that. Nothing can um, interrupt that time. I also do that for myself. So tomorrow, for example, I have a massage, a facial and my mani pedi scheduled. And there's no interrupting that. I, you know, my kids know that I need time to rejuvenate myself so that I can show up and be the best mom for them. So that everything else has to revolve around that, the, you know, the meetings that I have, nothing was no time will stop. And if I die tomorrow, the people that are going to be missing me are probably not the people from Nursina Network, definitely not the people from any of the jobs I were. It's going to be my family. So that's where I want to make sure I spend my time. Wow. Okay. You know, just your story is pretty much inspiring, I think, to a lot of people. So you had this kind of rough early start to life. Somehow you get through that and just propel academically, but you don't actually go and get the PhD until you're in your 30s, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, what do you think has enabled you to bounce through some of the rough spots into a place right now where you're helping other people bounce through the rough spots? You know, I, 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 um, I really have to say it was my daughter, Harmony. So I had her when I was 14. And um, for some people, having a child at 14 destroys your life. And I can't really articulate what it was about having her at 14 that did that did the opposite for me. But I knew I didn't want to be like my mom. I knew I didn't want my daughter to end up in foster care. And so everything that I did was always for her. I, you know, I wanted to graduate high school because I wanted her to have a mom that graduated high school. I wanted to get a bachelor's because I wanted to be able to support her financially. I didn't want to have to be on welfare and WIC and, you know. And so each thing that I did was really for her. And when, when she died, I actually felt like I lost my purpose. I was like, wait a minute, I've done all this for her. And now you've, you know, she's been taken away from me. And what I've since realized, um, is that her, her death also has, has as much of a purpose as her life did in terms of, I'm now going on to really help you know, thousands of people, hopefully hundreds of thousands of people that I would not have helped. I would not have had this passion for suicide prevention, for mental health. I would not have probably left corporate and moved on to become an entrepreneur. All of these things would not have happened had I not lost her. And so I still think that she really is the reason that I've progressed through my life in this way. And for those of you who don't have a harmony in your life, um, it doesn't have to be a person, right? It could be something that you're just like, this is not okay. This is something is going on in the world that I am not okay with. Um, and you hold on to that passion and that'll help motivate you on those days where it's really hard and you question why it is that you're doing what you're doing. So let me ask you, uh, if you were you know, a different age of yourself and, and you were becoming aware that there are some mental health issues for harmony, um, whoever, is viewing today who has a family member, maybe it's a cousin, a, you know, a niece, a, a granddaughter, daughter, son, what's the steps you take? I mean, it, I think most people want to do good, but the stigma, the uncertainty, the confusion, the denial, right? The whole sense that, oh, this is just normal, uh, normal being moodiness of a teenager. How first do we really look for those signs? I mean, you were kind enough to share a couple kind of the, the, the staying up at all kinds of hours, but that's pretty normal teenage behavior, right? Uh, now, the giving away of prized possessions, that's a pretty unique phenomenon and, and pretty common among suicide 
risk factors. But tell me, what should we be looking for? And then more importantly, what should we be doing? Yeah. So some of the signs of, you know, somebody who might be at risk is, you know, she, my daughter actually wasn't somebody who tended to stay up all night long. Like she would stay up until like midnight or one, but she was never up at three or four o'clock in the morning. And so when you see a change like that, where maybe they tended to go to bed at one and now all of a sudden they're staying up later or the reverse, maybe they're sleeping all day and they weren't somebody who tended to sleep all day. If you see them withdrawing, her friends used to ask her, Hey, let's come out. You know, whatever. She would not go. She's like, sorry, I got school. She would just completely withdraw. She quit her job because she just didn't want to have interaction with people. And, you know, she um, changed her eating habits. So if they're eating less or if they're eating more, all of these different things are signs and they're really subtle signs. But the best way to find out if somebody you love, um, friend, family, whoever is struggling is to ask them and not to say things like, do you want to hurt yourself? Because when somebody's thinking about suicide, they're, they death to them is not hurting themselves. They don't want to hurt themselves. They actually want to end the pain, which is why they think suicide is the answer. And so you want to ask them, do you have thoughts of killing yourself? Um, and be that blunt about it. Um, so that's step one. Ask them, are you having thoughts of, you know, taking your own life? Do you want to die? Um, and not even do you want to die because most of the time they don't even want to die. They just want to stop the pain. So do you have thoughts of killing yourself? Um, and if they say no, but you still think it, you want to share why you think you have those thoughts. What is it about what you're seeing? Like, I'm seeing that you're not hanging out with your friends. I'm seeing that you're not doing ABCD things and it's really concerning me. You know, I, I want to talk about it. So I think those are some of the things. I think a big one also that people um, don't understand is that you're not the therapist. You're not the person that's going to save this person's life in that way. So you have to immediately seek help. If you feel like they're at immediate risk, don't leave. Call 911 and don't leave. If they're not at immediate risk and you're just kind of like, okay, there's something going on here. Um, keep the conversation open, but it's not your job to babysit them 24 hours a day. You can't do that. You, it, it's going to wear you out and it's going to wear that person out. So, I mean, it's really important to ask the question, to stay with them if they need immediate help. If they don't need immediate help, get them um, the resources, right? So there's a suicide um, uh, um, uh, hotline that they can call, which is going to change to 988 in the future. Um, and then there's a crisis text line that they can call. And they don't have to be at, at immediate risk for the crisis text line. It could be any crisis, right? They could have a breakup and use the, the crisis text line. So make sure that they have uh, the resources that they need. And then really talk to them about, you know, how they're feeling and, you know, what's going on in their life. You don't want to guilt trip them. Don't use words like, um, you know, your parents would be really sad if you died. That's not a way to keep somebody alive. So you really want to talk about like what they're feeling immediately. Like it must be really hard to be going through what it is that you're going through. Let's talk about it. Um, and then the last thing is don't say things like, I can't imagine. Oh, I can't imagine, right? They have a loss. I can't imagine what that would feel like because it makes them feel isolated. Like there's somebody some, wrong with them. Something's wrong with them and you can't even relate to it because it's that wrong. So don't say, I can't imagine. Instead say things like, I can only imagine how difficult that may be. So those are some starting ways to really have the conversation, but it's important that, you know, when you're, when people say things like, I want to die, I want to kill myself, that you take it seriously. Don't pawn it off as like, oh, this is a teenage thing to say. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're demonstrating that they need help. Um, and that's the only way that they can demonstrate it. Oh, wow. Uh, so much vital information for people. Um, how do you know? I, and I think, you know, as a clinical psychologist, I, I know the difference between kind of the blues and blahs and clinical depression. Um, and how do you know in your world? I mean, you've, you've given symptoms and signs. So, you know, sleep, interest in life, 
you know, lots of guilt, energy level, concentration, appetite. Sometimes they get a little agitated or the reverse, get really sluggish. Um, and then sometimes they'll just flat out tell you they're suicidal. And uh, I think a lot of times people think, well, people who say they're suicidal aren't going to do it. It's the ones who don't say it that are going to do it. And how do you, I mean, I think the real challenge, if somebody tells you they're going to kill themselves and it's not in your mindset because you're not depressed or suicidal, it is difficult to make the connection to someone who considers that option. Because from if you don't see it as mental illness, you see it as a bad choice in coping. Uh, can you help a little bit with that bridge between, oh, I wouldn't do it. I've never really seriously thought about it versus a person who's right in front of you who's telling you this is the option they see as viable. Yeah, I mean, I prior to my daughter passing, I can say even at, with everything that I knew about suicide, I didn't understand it. Uh, when, you know, I, I really didn't understand it. I didn't understand how her life could have been that bad. Like I was like, you know, she's, she didn't have to go through anything I went through as a kid. Like she didn't grow up in teen foster care. She didn't have to ever wonder where her next meal was. Like, why was her life so bad? I didn't understand it. And so I think the first step is to not compare like what they're going through with what your worldview is. Um, but I didn't understand it until after she died, I wanted to take my own life. I was pregnant with my baby. I have a three-year-old now, but I was pregnant with my daughter when I lost my daughter. Um, I did chest compressions on her pregnant. And um, after losing her, I couldn't cope. I just, I didn't want to live anymore. And I actually had plans and was moving forward with my plans to end my life. And um, I, what I would tell people is, is that what happens with folks that are considering uh, ending their life is that it's not that they're trying to hurt anybody. It's not that they, um, you know, not any of that. What happens is you have something called tunnel vision. And so they're literally unable to see any other options. Think about like, you know, when you're up, when you're, when you're feeling good and your head's not foggy and you've had a great day and a great sleep, like you can get up and you can make choices logically and you're, you're working, you know, you're good. Folks that are considering suicide a lot of times have mental health conditions that change the chemistry in their brains. They're seeing foggy. They're not seeing all of these other options. It's literally, that's all I can see. And it's to end the pain. That's it. Their outcome is to end how bad they feel. It's not to hurt anybody. They don't even realize that they aren't going to come back sometimes. It's just because they want to end the pain. And so when people say, I want to die, I want to, you know, I don't want to be living anymore. What they really mean is they want to stop the pain that they're feeling. And it's important at that point to really help refocus and bring them back out of that, which sometimes is not possible because of the chemistry, um, so that they could see there are other options, right? This pain that you're in is temporary. It's not going to last. Um, but saying that when to somebody who has no ability to look other than in that tunnel um, doesn't mean anything. So you can say, you know, all day long, but it just, it really doesn't. And that's when it's time to get intervention. Yeah. I, I think one of the keys here is that you just need to be listening and a bridge to the intervention, right? Um, it, you don't have to be an expert in how to deal with people who are feeling this incredible feeling that, that many of us can't get our arms around. We just need to get them to somebody who can be in that space with the evidence-based treatment solutions that move people through that so they can can have a different outcome. So um, just it's always like such a delight to talk to you. I mean, we you know, when we talked for the book Stronger Through Adversity, our whole conversation was about nursing resilience, right? And and how was you how were nurse leaders and how were frontline nurses managing to continue to to stay strong uh, at a time in Los Angeles, for example, when you were at the 
you were kind of the epicenter. Uh, I mean, New York had its time, LA had its time. Um, and from there, it was, became really obvious to me that you've been running this journey of being stronger through adversity your entire life. Uh, and I was talking to somebody who was just giving me a microsecond uh, glimpse of it. Um, I, you know, I don't think I want you to do comparative adversity, but I would love for you to talk about how how similar your various adversities have been and how different they've been and what you've learned from various ones of those. I, I'd say that um, to start with, a lot of people that I share my story with are like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for your story. You know, how did you get through that? And I'd start off by saying, my perception of my life is not, I'm so sorry. Like if I had to redo everything, go through foster care, be a teen mom, even lose my daughter, I would be okay with doing that again, because I know that there's some purpose in that. And I know that I'll be able to improve other people's lives with that. So, you know, just like with, I'm sure your listeners and you, we all have our ups and downs. We have some really high ups and some really high downs. Um, but what I can say that they all have done, whether they were highs or lows, um, was given me a new set of like glasses, a new perspective in which to see the world. And so I really um, am grateful for that because there's some people that don't, they take their um, adversities or they take their highs um, and they don't reflect on how they could learn from them and how it changes their worldview of, you know, why they're here and what we can do in this time. Well, I haven't shared much by way of comments, but I am going to share Veronica, who just says, you're awesome. And there's more emojis there than I can track. I don't know. <laughs> there's just a lot of kind of strength and power stuff going on there. And um, yeah, it looks like uh, like you're having that impact. Uh, and so I think all of us, probably the only thing we can control is our ability to have a positive contribution in the world. At least that's what I believe. I mean, I can't always control the way the world hands itself to me, but um, I certainly can control to, to a greater degree or another uh, how I respond to it. Let's, uh, in the final minutes here, if you'd be kind enough just to make sure, is this the best way to get to you? What would you like people to engage in or connect with you through? I just would, I'd love to, to kind of get your thoughts on how people can be a part of the Chris Racinos movement. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm at Chris Racinos. I'm the only Chris Racinos at this moment anyways. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, send me a message there. I'm also on Instagram at nurse underscore leader underscore network. Um, and so you can find me there. Um, or you can go to my website, nurseleadernetwork.com. Um, and, and I'm on Clubhouse. So you can find me, Dr. Chris Racinos. Our Dr. Racinos is my handle on Clubhouse. I'm on there so we can connect and actually chat. I have a, a Sunday chat every week. All right. I'm going to do the quick lightning round, just a minute or two of this with you. So let me ask about five kids. Now you started early. Uh, you started yeah. at 14, but tell me about having and raising five children. I can't even imagine. Two was a bit much for me, so. Well, uh, it's been crazy, um, but they, they're fantastic. I mean, they bring so much joy and so much development and so much love to my life. So I have five kids. My oldest was Harmony. She uh, would have been 24, but passed when she was 19. And then I have a, a 19 year old Destiny, 13 year old Mason, um, 10 year old Jacob, and then three year old Bethany. Um, and they are my world. They really are, you know, um, everything to me. And I brought them along on the journey. So, you know, even at 10 years old, I'm teaching my son what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I'm attempting to teach my kids um, to really not seek happiness in their life, but rather to seek purpose and, and meaning in their life. Um, because they'll end up being so much, they'll end up having such a, you know, 
so much more of a fulfilling life by seeking purpose and meaning versus trying to get happy. Ah, I love it. And uh, it's obviously resonating with uh, people who are connecting with us today. Joshua says she's so inspiring and a role model. Uh, you know, I doubt you had a mom who said, uh, think about having purpose, not happiness. Uh, so somehow how you came to that. How do you think you came to it? Um, honestly, a TED talk. I like totally saw a TED talk and, and, you know, I was, I was like looking at like in my own struggle, like I'm just, you know, I wasn't feeling good. I wasn't finding joy. And I, I was just like, what is it? Like I have everything that I thought I wanted, right? I'm a nurse executive. I make a ton of money. I have a PhD. I have great kids, but I'm not happy. Like, what is it that I'm lacking? Um, and I realized it was meaning. Like I just, I had all these things, but when I lost my daughter again, like I, I said, I thought I lost my purpose. Um, and I had to do some soul searching to realize I hadn't lost it. I actually had to reframe it. Wow. All right. So one more item in the rapid round, well, I guess two, Cal State. Is that where you got your PhD? Uh, no, I got my, uh, my master's at Cal State. I got my PhD at Azusa Pacific. All right, cool. So tell me about the higher education experience real quick. Uh, it was great. It was great. I met some of my best friends in um, each of my programs, actually. And so they were really different, right? APU is a Christian university and Cal State is a state university. Um, I loved having both experiences. So uh, they were really great. I recommend both schools. Um, they're totally fantastic. All right. Carol, Carolyn says, phenomenal inspiration, role model of true nursing leadership. All right. So she's probably already connected with you. She probably already knows your LinkedIn handle. But in case you are not, please you know, catch that as it's going across the screen. Last question really quickly, Joseph, and not Joseph Michelli, but uh, Joseph in the life of Chris Racinos. He is my rock. He's my husband. We've been married almost 13 years, and he has followed me on this like crazy journey and has done nothing but inspire me to become who I am. He's always supported who I am. Um, he's truly a reason Hello Harmony and Nurse Leader Network exists. So... Wow. All right, folks, if you don't reach out to her uh, at either on her LinkedIn address, which I've been posting, I think, pretty regularly, or more easily, just Nurse Leader Network. And, and actually, I kind of learned this uh, over time. I think I, when I first put it in the book, uh, my first draft of the book, I put an S in there somewhere. So uh, other than the, the S in nurse. Um, so Nurse Leader Network, uh, single uh, uh, singular, not plural, Nurse Leader Network. So please check the site out. Uh, if in any way you want to be tracking what's going on with Hello Harmony, I'm sure you're going to find out about that. If you want to look at some of these resilience courses, um, you'll be learning more about what's coming online with that as well. So please, I hope you will engage that as well. Vasca says, amazing story. All right, with that, I am going to say goodbye to this amazing person, Chris, at least for now. I'm sure when, when Hello Harmony is fully actionable and you want to kind of demo it and we want to get the word out, I think I'm, I'm probably available that day. Awesome. Um, all right. So yeah, so you're, you're, you're stuck with me for that one. <laughs> all right. Without further ado, let me uh, kind of wrap the show today with what's coming up next uh, on the, the potpourri we call the, the Michelli experience. Oh, I, I got to take out the nurse leader network or that makes no sense. All right, there we go. Upcoming next week. Dr. Rebecca Heiss, she is a biologist. She's going to talk about how our instinctual components are some things that we have to work against sometimes um, because they, they're habits that are developed for another time and how do we reprogram, particularly some of the same kind of reprogramming, some of the thought processes we have, some of the fear that we generate. Uh, after that, love the company name, Nocha, Velvet Chainsaw. 
like what is a velvet chainsaw? And that's uh, Sarah Michelle. She's actually responsible for me being a professional speaker. Uh, so you can blame her, those of you who've been in my audiences in the past. And then Dr. Byron Ernst, uh, and he is, Ernest is, um, he, Dr. Ernest is a, uh, is a educator, a professional educator. It's, uh, his book is called The Hand in the Back of the Room, and kind of talking about the impact of pandemic on learning and how do we make up some of the ground from the deficits that uh, have happened uh, out, out of the crisis of it all. Hey, look, if you, you know, I don't care if you, you know, sign up to my YouTube channel or I don't need anything from you. My life is incredibly blessed. But I think if you could share this particular show, if you have someone in your life that you think might benefit from the candor, the vulnerability, the honesty, the integrity, the inspiration of Chris Racinus, I would be so appreciative on their behalf. Uh, so thank you for considering that. That's all the time we have this week. Uh, you can find me at josephmichelli.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn under my handle, Joseph Michelli. And in any case, uh, find a way to make a difference.